We're going to be mostly looking at John chapter 18, which is on page 1079. Good if you can open your Bibles again to page 1079, John chapter 18. And if you have that, we'll start with prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we mark three different things this Sunday. First, this Sunday is Stir Up Sunday, the day that Anglicans traditionally mix their Christmas puddings to make sure they are ready for Christmas. That comes from the old collect that says in part, stir up the fruits. It will be our post-communion prayer today. Second, it is Christ the King, the day in which we particularly remember how Christ reigns now as king over all. And third, the diocese have named it Mission Sunday. Today we're going to focus mostly on the last two of those. Christ the king, and then the great mission that he has given to his subjects. Come with me to John's Gospel. We are now in that part of John's Gospel which walks with Jesus through his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. Just last night, Judas betrayed Jesus, and Simon Peter struck off the high priest's servant's ear with a sword. Jesus rebuked him and said, put away your sword, and Jesus had submitted himself to arrest. Now picture the scene with me. It's now early morning. The Jews have dragged Jesus to the outside of the governor's palace, and the governor, one Pontius Pilate, has come out to speak with them. They're urging him to put this Jesus to death, but they're struggling to find grounds. What accusation do you bring against this man? Pilate says, and all they can say is, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate says, well, take him yourself. Judge him by your own law. And they say, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And that's true. You see, the Roman king, Caesar, shows himself to be the king over all the kingdoms of the empire by reserving the right to put people to death to Roman courts alone. However, Pilate, of course, knows exactly why they have brought Jesus before him. Because Jesus, his signs, and his claims are well known to everyone in Jerusalem, including Pilate, who has actually come up to the feast specifically to keep an eye on unrest. So Pilate goes back inside, and verse 33, he calls for Jesus, and he puts to Jesus the question that must have been on everyone's tongues since his triumphal entry. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Or, or perhaps he sees this man so plain, so common, so alone, and he says, are you the king of the Jews? Incredulous. But Jesus wants more from this conversation than that. And so verse 34, he says, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Jesus is aiming at Pilate's heart it's trying to draw him in. It's, what do you, Pilate, say? 
Am I based on all you have seen and heard about me? Am I the king of the Jews? Is that your confessional or just what others say? You see, it's actually Pilate, not Jesus, who is on trial here. Jesus is challenging Pilate to make the good confession. And Pilate tries to stop himself being sucked in. Am I a Jew, he says? That is, do I care about your Jewish myths and superstitions? Do I care about your expectation of a coming Christ and a king? What, what has that question got to do with me? And besides, what kind of king is betrayed by his own people? And so he treats Jesus still like a common criminal. He says to him, your own nation and the chief priests have betrayed you to me. What have you done? Good question. What has he done? He has restored the lame. He has healed the sick. He has given sight to the blind. He has raised the dead. He has preached good news to the poor. And not one of those was done hidden in a corner. The crowds of Jerusalem are buzzing because of these things he has done. Even the Greeks want to come and see him. This is what he has done. He has done no crime that deserves death. He has done signs that prove that he is the king. Signs that mean that this dark world cannot accept him. Now, if he were a, a worldly king, then being delivered by his own people to death would be the end of being a king, wouldn't it? But not with Jesus. For as he says, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world which is to say, yes, I am a king, but I'm a king much more glorious and powerful than you, Pilate, suppose. I am a king, but I am a king whose power and authority comes from God above and does not depend on support from man below. And he proves it. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Even you remember last night when Peter took out that sword to fight, Jesus stopped him and made him put the sword away. His kingdom is not of this world. And this, of course, has huge implications for us too, doesn't it? I want to say very clearly at this point, violence and force has no part in spreading or defending our religion. No matter how much we might be tempted to pick up weapons and fight against the enemies of the kingdom or fight against those who would take our churches or our rights, it is always wrong to use violence. For the kingdom of Christ is not of this world. It does not consist of earthly buildings or passing power anyway. It consists the much greater rule of Christ over hearts and minds and souls. Yes, of course, it is true that one day the king will return in power and the kings of the earth will lay their glory at his feet. Yes, it is true that one day every knee shall bow in heaven and earth before him. It is also true that one day the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of God and his Christ. But that is not now. Now his kingdom is not of this world. 
So out of that, Pilate only takes one word, kingdom. And so he asks Jesus, verse 37, so you are a king. Ironically, it's what he should say, isn't it? He should say to Jesus, you are a king, and he should submit himself to him. And this Jesus confirms, saying, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Such a good confession, isn't it? Jesus is confessing that he is God from eternity who has been born in human flesh. He was born and he came into the world with this purpose, to bear witness to the truth. And what is the truth? He is the truth. He, as he has already said, he is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. He is the truth. And if you know the truth, then the truth will set you free, free from sin and death, to belong to the King forever. Well, all eyes are on Pilate now, aren't they? Will he or won't him? Won't he? Will the judge confess that Jesus Christ is king and have life in his kingdom, or will he condemn himself by rejecting the truth? Verse 39, sadly, he says only this. He says, what is truth? And then he turns and walks away. In the end, Pilate listens to the voice of the Jewish leaders instead of the voice of Christ the King, and he crucifies the King under a sign that says, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. It's tragically ironic, isn't it? He was challenged by the truth of Christ the King. He even makes the very confession that would have brought him life in the kingdom, but he does it out of spite. And I wonder whether there might be people who are here today who are also being challenged by the truth of Christ our King. And perhaps that's you. Perhaps you are sitting here and you're wondering, perhaps Jesus really is the King, and not just the King of kings, but the rightful King of my heart and mind as well. And perhaps you feel that you too want to become one of his subjects, have life in his name. And if that is you, listen to his voice. Make the good confession Pilate never made. Call out to him now, say to him, Yes, Jesus, you are my crucified king. I trust you to save me from my sins now and bring me to your kingdom forever. This is Christ the King, and you will be safe in his hands. However, I'm also very happy to know that most of us are here today precisely because we do know Christ our King. We love him and we submit our hearts and minds and souls to his rule. So what more does Christ the King mean for us here today? Well, this is a bit where we talk about the mission that the King gives his subjects. Because wonderfully, and I wonder whether you know this, the Bible takes 
Jesus' good confession before Pilate and makes it into an example and an encouragement for us to do the same. First Timothy, in chapter 6, we find Paul speaking to Timothy of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. And it's an encouragement there to fight the good fight of the faith, because there is a good fight to fight, not a fight of violence, but a fight of confessing Christ the King to those who do not yet know the truth. It is what the King did before Pilate, and it is actually what the King commands his servants to do as well, as he himself says, and I quote, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all peoples. And if you look at your New Testament, that's just what we see. You see, for example, since Peter and St. John, arrested by an angry council, they proclaim before them that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name <coughs> there is no other name given amongst men by which we must be saved but Christ. They were warned by the council to stop. They were beaten by the council to dissuade them, but they carried on and they rejoiced, saying that they must obey God and not man. Or you see, Stephen, do you remember Stephen? Seized by a furious mob for preaching Christ, even as they prepared to kill him, he made the good confession. Even as the Bible says they ground their teeth in murder, he knelt and confessed Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father in glory. They stoned him to death and made him the first of those glorious martyrs to Christ. You think of St. Paul himself, running from place to place, proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ before Jews, before Gentiles. He was lashed, he was beaten, he was stoned and left for dead, but he still preached the kingdom of God. He was despised and imprisoned, but never stopped making the good confession. And we could go on and on, not only in the New Testament, but through generation after generation of faithful, faithful subjects of the king who have borne witness to him, dear saints who have stood before princes and paupers and friends and foes for Christ, many of whom who have paid with their own lives. Just this week, you may have read of one of our brothers martyred by a tribe in India because he went to make the good confession of Christ. The last words he wrote to his family were these. Please do not be angry with them or with God if I get killed. Thank God for his willingness to bear witness. And let's pray that we will have the same willingness ourselves. Let's do our part. At this point, I want to deal with a few objections that might be on your mind. Perhaps you're here and you're thinking, I, I want to say, Pastor, I want to build a good relationship with the people before I talk to them about Christ. And that's great, I like that. But please let us make sure that we get to talking about Christ before it is too late. No one will be saved by having Christian friends with good intentions. 
for the scripture that says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life also asks how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Or perhaps you want to say, Pastor, actually, I love them too much to tell them about Christ. No, dear brother, I put it to you that we do not love them too much. We hate them. If we love them, we would tell them about Christ. Think about it. Do we imagine on that last day when the king comes to judge the world and all the tribes of the earth wail, do you imagine your friend turning in terror and thanking you for loving them so much you'd never warned them of Christ the king? Surely they will say, why? Why? Why did she never once open her mouth and tell me about what was to come? If we love them, we will talk to them about Christ. But for some of us, actually, love is the reason. We do not tell others about Christ because of love, not love for them, but love for ourselves and the life of this world. I've lost track of the number of times that people have told me, I cannot talk about Christ to these people or this person or in this place or that place because of consequences. But what do we mean by consequences? We mean that we do not really trust the power of Christ our King in the world now, nor are we actually willing to suffer for the sake of his name. Let me tell you what the King himself says, Matthew in chapter 10. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. These are the words of the king. They're not my words. Now it is very true dear brothers and sisters, that crossing the world to bring Christ to an unknown tribe might not be for you. But surely, crossing the road to bring Christ to your neighbor is something you could manage. Or crossing the corridor to bring Christ to your colleague who does not yet know him. Some of us have not even yet told our own parents about Christ. And do you know that here in Kuala Lumpur, nine out of every ten people do not know the truth. Nine out of ten. And some of us are sitting on our hands thinking that mission has nothing to do with us. Dear brothers and sisters, we are saved by faith because a king was crucified for our sins, but we are saved to serve that king. Let's take that call seriously. Let's not rest from proclaiming Christ to the world joyfully and boldly until the day comes when every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord or the Lord brings us to glory ahead of him. And if they beat us 
or mistreat us for it, we will rejoice because the Lord has counted us worthy to suffer for the name of the King. And if they run us from town to town, we will give thanks because now we have a new town to proclaim the name in. And even if they should arrest us and haul us into court, let us rejoice all the more, for there we will stand before jailers and judges and lawyers, and perhaps by God's grace, all the media as well, and there we will confess Christ the King to the world. Dear brothers and sisters, this is Christ the King who made the good confession before Pontius Pilate, who took our sins and suffered at his hands for us on the cross and then entered into glory. This, dear brothers, is Christ the King. And he calls his subjects now to follow him. Let's pray. Mighty Father, we thank you for your son, Christ the King. We thank you that he came and took our sins upon the cross and paid for them in his suffering and death. We thank you that through suffering, he went on into glory. We pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts by your spirit to give us the strength to follow him, to give us the strength to boldly declare his name before all peoples and races and nations and tribes and tongues. Pray, Father, you would help us not to fear man, but to trust the power of the name. <clears throat> Father, we pray for that day when your king will return in glory, when every knee will bow before him, and we will enter the joy of his kingdom forever. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>